1: Of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, and joining me on the show, Minnesota Vikings legend. He has been a longtime TV analyst and now also doing work for Vikings Entertainment on post-game shows. Former running back Robert Smith, what is up, Robert? How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. You picked a heck of a year to do post-game shows, man.
2: Oh boy, it's been a crazy ride. It's been a crazy <laughs> ride, you know. And you know, the interesting thing is, like. Obviously, you want to be neutral and um, you know to, uh, try and try and look at everything analytically, and I do, but it's just tough. <laughs> it's it's tough to sit in there and watch the games and to go through everything that the fans are going through. Quite frankly, this year, this is the. I mean, I've I've watched the Vikings in years past, but never this closely, game in and game out. And so you know all of the ups and downs and the fretful moments late in games, like it's 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 been draining.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, even from a reporter perspective, usually there's a few games a year where. I mean, you know, by the second half, the thing's over. We're going back for a few more donuts or whatever, right? I mean, like, normally that's the case, but this is the most anxiety as us up in the press box, I think, have felt toward the end of these games. The number of rewrites that we've had, like, oh, oh, (laughs) you know, right. Game is over. It's fine. Oh, there's one more drive and here we go. Um, But. I mean, you played in enough of these close games. I mean, what is it like down on the field, the sideline, when you know the the game is coming down to it? And after week after week, you got to think that these guys are exhausted of it.
2: Yeah, and you know, quite frankly, like I I don't really remember, you know, too many times. Like to me, it was never, never, or very rarely that I felt relaxed on the sideline Mm -hmm. because. Even if that game was over, it was all it was always the next one, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, it was never, never that light. Although, you know, there are some games, especially in 98 where we scored so many points, where we were able to, you know, relax a little bit on the sideline. But, yeah, it was usually always pretty tense just thinking about, uh, you know, the work that still had to be done.
1: Yeah, and I definitely want to ask you about that season. But sticking with where they're at right now, I mean – It's such an interesting contrast of the team has plenty of reason to believe they're good because they're in every game and they beat the Packers and they should have made a field goal and beat Arizona. Those are the two top teams uh, in the NFC that they've played. And yet they also lost the game to Cooper Rush. They almost lost to Detroit last time. And then, you know, they go out to San Francisco with a chance to kind of carry that momentum and come up short. it feels like all year long it's been kind of hard to figure out is this team legitimately competitive is there something that's missing there i feel like it's been difficult for us
2: yeah and and i would say that obviously i think it's it's one of the more talented teams in the league and not a cop-out but it's it's not like other teams haven't had some of the same issues and the difference between uh, you know a, a a nine and two record uh, and, and a seven and four record or you know a six and five or five and six they're not as big as people think uh, there's a there's a lot of parity in the league. it's very difficult to win any one game and I think you know over the last couple of weeks I would say that the problems that that really plagued the team, uh, we start talking about penalties mental errors things like that they have gotten cleaned up uh but it, it there there's still some of them and it just depends on when they happen in games and and what the particular situation is so what the what the uh uh consequence of that of that mistake is going to be and uh you know th- uh, thinking back to uh, you know, the game a week ago, I mean, that's, that's what really did it, you know, kind of late in the game, some of the, some of the problems that, uh, that happened. And that's just, you know, that's just, it's going to cost you when you make them at those times. And I, and I think probably the last game, uh, in particular, is probably Kirk's last game. And most most teams are going to go as their quarterback goes, and he's been playing so well this year. But so many other things had gone poorly. And then even though some of those other mistakes got cleaned up, uh, you know, it was it was too much to overcome with some of his, his inconsistencies thrown the football a week ago. Yeah, you
1: know, and it's that's been the season is that it, there have been times where the offense is really cooking, and yet maybe there's holding penalties or there's defensive breakdowns. And then, you know, you have the injuries that have really impacted them lately where Daniil Hunter goes out and now you're just a different football team when you don't have that superstar and you're kind of reliant on Kirk Cousins to have a big game all the time. Uh, The other thing too, that I've noticed Robert from the couple of years past is their running game just isn't as effective this year as it has been recently, even though I think Delvin Cook is still very good. Now he's out. We'll get to Kenny Wong and all that, but um, I wonder what you make of that as someone who had, uh, you know, a good amount of success running the football. Like, wh- what is it that may be different there that seems to be holding them back a little bit?
2: Well, I mean, there have been different combinations, obviously, having Udo in at, at, at right guard and Rashad Hill and then Darius was in and got hurt um and you know mason mason cole being in for bradbury now like there have been some changes and you know it's it's just the kind of thing where you you, you got to have that consistency and then you also uh you know you lose kyle rudolph and you lose irv smith your top two tight ends aren't on the roster this year as as, as well as tyler conklin uh has played uh you know you it, th- those are things that are hard, hard to get over, especially you know with a guy like Kyle Rudolph that it was such a great blocking tight end. Uh, so that can't be discounted as part of the performance of the overall offensive line as well. So when you look at this team before the season, uh, that was the biggest question mark going in. And I think that Uh, the concern has been justified by the performance that we've seen. And if it, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've noticed the same thing that the run game hasn't been as consistent. Uh, And I think that that would be the primary issue that uh, you know, the performance up front uh, just hasn't been uh, what it's been in years past.
1: No, you make a great point Um, before the season, when Irv Smith was lost, I talked to a couple of people who um, follow the Rams closely and, and, asked them, Hey, how did they run out of those three wide, receiver set so successfully and everybody said oh it's Robert Woods he's just this great blocker that they use like a tight end and I wondered okay is KJ Osborne going to be able to do that or this team And uh, I think the answer's been really no, that there are so few receivers that can make that three wide receiver thing effective in the run game, too. Um, And so they were before getting the other team's extra linebacker on the field with multiple tight ends. And so I I think you're right that that it's it's a bunch of different reasons. And also they wanted to do better in terms of their pass blocking by putting Udo at right guard but also he's a guy who's a former tackle and now you're asking him to be a zone blocker. It's like, it's really hard to make these things work. I was going to ask you what it feels like when you're whooping the other team on the ground, because this is a conversation of football and analytics and running the ball and all these things that happen a lot, um, you know, in the football world. And I just wonder when, when you're out there and your offensive line is is moving the other team down the field, like what does that feel like as an offense? Because it seems like there's just a different level of confidence when that's happening.
2: Oh well, I mean, I would I would I would flip it around uh, quite honestly because to to a man and, and to a coach uh, to a player. You ask them what it feels like when they can't stop the run, <laughs> yeah, and the, and they'll tell you it's demoralizing. Like there's because it, you can't do anything. Like it, it's you just you're you're getting your teeth kicked in play after play, and so you know, it feels good. <laughs> <And that's, laughs> yeah. Not to sound not to sound you know overly violent, but it feels good to kick in kick in an opponent's teeth. Like when you're ready when you're really running the ball like that, and you know the holes are opening up, and it it just feels like anything can work because at any moment, that's when you get the you know you you get an opportunity to turn that into into play action and take those shots downfield and get those big explosive plays it makes such a difference
1: right and I think that if there's one concern uh for the Vikings against Detroit who's 0-10-1 is that they're not horrendous at running the football and from what we saw last week against San Francisco and there's not a, a great comparison San Francisco is as good as it gets but if there's one thing and you know this I'm sure the Vikings fans are always nervous if there's one thing that it could make you nervous against Detroit. I think that that's it.
2: Yeah. Well, the other the other thing is, is that they've been pretty good defensively and not having Dalvin mm-hmm. Cook. I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, this weekend, I haven't seen any, anything different, but I would be surprised if he was in there. Yeah, this he's, week. he's out Robert. Yeah. He's. Out. Yeah. So, I mean that, you know, those are, those are things that would be concerning and it's not like we just, no pun intended, ran away with it in the first game, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, tried to get that, it seemed like tried to give that thing away in the second half just got real conservative. They fought their way back in and, you know, were able to, to end up winning the game. But, you know, that was a, that was a frustrating win the first time around.
1: Uh, It most certainly was. And another one that we thought, all right, it's 16 to six. This should be fine. They'll take care of it. We'll write Vikings, take care of business against the lions. And then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose, but that's how it goes. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, Justin Jefferson and your view on him um, because you played with a couple of decent wide receivers, Robert. Uh, And (laughs) I, I just like, it's hard to say the name Randy Moss with anybody. Um, no matter what statistics anybody puts up or whatever else, but when Justin Jefferson wears a Randy Moss shirt and says he wants to be a legend like Moss, I think we'd laugh at most people, but for him, we go like, yeah, okay. You're doing that. Uh, I just wanted like your view of being able to see every game now and watch him up close. Um, and having played with Carter and played with Moss and and Jake Reed and, and kind of how, how you view him.
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been a blast. Uh, quite frankly, to see, to see him play. And, you know, I was able to call a couple of the games uh, for the Vikings a couple – or last year mm-hmm. call games for Fox, um, you know, early in the season against the Colts and then, you know, the game against Detroit at the end of the year and got to see him then, uh, you know, in person. Um, you know, he's, he's phenomenal. And I think, you know – unlike a Rand, you know, cause Randy just, it's just different with Randy. Like you just so far off the charts mm-hmm. uh, from a measurable standpoint with the combination of the height and the speed that he just, he added an element to the game that was just, you know, almost impossible for people to deal with. And really I think understood the game a lot more than people, uh, you know, give him credit for, um, you know, probably because he's so athletic. But when I watch Justin and I, and I watch his routes and his understanding of where he needs to be, situational football underneath catches. Uh, he does such a nice job of positioning his body and catching with his hands and just doing all the things that a receiver needs to do. Uh, he's been tremendous, and you know I, I know that you know people people were wondering coming into the league, you know, could he operate outside of the slot and get on the outside? You know, you have fewer fewer uh options to beat defenders out there so you know is your route running going to be developed enough and i i think it certainly has been so he's been he's been fun to watch um, you know does he does he have everything that randy has no but um he's he's uh a tremendous uh a tremendous student of the game i think clearly mm-hmm. um because it's not just admiring people i think it's really studying people and studying himself it seems Because he's, you know, he's modifying his releases, he's modifying his moves, he's doing everything that he needs to do to stay consistent.
1: Yeah, that's really stuck out to me. When he talked about this last offseason, putting focus into hiring a specific coach to work on balance and all these things and going home from practice and sitting down with his brother and watching film. I mean, these are things that not everybody who gets a taste of stardom does, right? I mean, they, some guys get the taste of stardom and kind of say, oh, oh, I can I can handle this league. And yet for him, he wanted to take it to another level, which I, I think we've seen this year because everybody's Focusing on him, and he's still doing the same thing. Uh, can you can you give me a Moss story? I mean, what's the story you like to tell when everybody asks you for a Moss story?
2: Oh uh, well, it was a, the first day I saw him in practice. Um, you know, by that point in my career, obviously I'd you know played with Chris Carter and Warren Moon, and played against you know the Emmett Smiths and the Michael Irvins, and uh, you know the Dion Sanders of the world. You know, in track, I had, I had, in track, I'd been in a race with Carl Lewis. Like I've seen, I've been around a lot of athletes, like world class, hall of fame, top of their sport, top of the history of the sport. Uh, some of those athletes and I saw him in the first training camp practice. And this is obviously without pads on, but it didn't matter. And I, I, I remember my agent. Uh, actually, my my agent, by the way, represents Belichick, and he represents uh, Mel Tucker too. So oh, not nice not doing deal. too bad there. Huh? <laughs> not doing too bad. But I remember he called me up, and he's like, "How did Randy look?" I said, "I've never seen anything like this. Like <laughs> he moved so differently than everybody else. Like, and that's the thing. That's the thing that really stands out because." you can just see that people are just moving differently. The, the, not just the speed, but the fluidity of the movements and um, the way that he snatched the ball so cleanly out of the air. I said, if he's healthy, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like, I, I've never seen anything. There's Like, he's that much far and above anything that I've ever seen. It can't possibly be wrong. And I don't think that it really took any uh, great football mind to see that. You just had to – To to see it in person, him moving next to a bunch of other professional athletes and looking like that, it it was a
3: no-brainer.
1: You know, that's the thing that everybody thought of, by, you know, throughout his career, it's just this like mossing people and running by people, throwing his arm up, which I asked Gus Farad about one time. And Gus said that meant just throw it up to him like he was abandoning whatever route he was supposed to run. And he was run straight, which is really just, you know, <laughs> a cool story. But the, the thing that I feel like we understand so much better about Randy now than we did during his career was is just his intelligence and what role that played in his game because Belichick was telling a story about how Randy would come to him with all these suggestions and all these things he saw on film and I just think that like Randy even admitted one time in a press conference we were there when he was going to the ring of honor he just didn't let anybody in like people Mm -hmm. from the outside did not know these things about Randy Moss I think his post career has been so interesting
2: yeah yeah it really has and you know I've heard Belichick talk about that and Um, You know, heard other quarterbacks talk about that, like his understanding of the game, like you have to at that level, Mm -hmm. especially when defenses are designed to stop you. Like that's everything. Everything that they're doing is designed to make sure that he can't do what he did for his whole career. Mm -hmm. So you know the combination coaches can't do that stuff alone like players have to be able to relay information to their coaches that are going to allow them to make those kind of adjustments
1: yeah no it's it's just really interesting and if anybody hasn't seen the documentary rand university of his background and how he grew up and everything it's um it's been really uh i I think cool for fans to understand him better as someone who transformed this franchise to kind of what it is today in terms of popularity now you mentioned uh not so humble brag of racing Carl Lewis and, and this, this is... The no, thing. no, 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 what, no, what no, I know, no, There's
2: a difference now. Hey, come on. I didn't race. I didn't race Carl Lewis. <laughs> I was in a race oh, with Carl okay. Lewis. Was a, it was a four by 100 meter relay. We <laughs> were both running anchor leg. That's
1: still a pretty significant humble brag, I think Robert but hey you were a 95 rated on Madden which is how I knew you growing up it's like well I nice. want to play with Robert Smith because he's the fastest guy in the game and he just runs by people I want to ask you about that because Ken A Wong-woo is really interesting for fans uh mm-hmm. because that guy at least from this with the sideline I've been on training camp is the quickest explosiveness that I've covered since I've been covering the Vikings um, over the last five years I I what is the difference between being fast as in, in a race with Carl Lewis fast and fast on the football field as in averaging five yards a carry fast? Like how, how does that wor- difference work? Cause there's a lot of track guys, but there's not a lot of football fast guys.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, there, you can't just be fast and play football. Well, um, and I, and I certainly don't think that about Nwangu. and saw him at, at Iowa state called some of his games there. So I had an opportunity to, see that speed in person um but there's a there's a significant difference and it doesn't matter like how much somebody prepares for that kind of speed that that extra step you know uh guys that like like a tyree kill like that extra bit of speed it's it's deadly because no matter how much you prepare for it even if you think you're taking the right angle or you think that you're going to get to where you need to be on time you only have to be you know a hundredth uh, of a second off and it's it's a, the difference between that play got filled properly from a run fit perspective mm-hmm. to it's a touchdown like that's you know and that's what the game is about you know it's, it's funny i interviewed brian Billick a few weeks ago and um, he was like, uh, yeah, you know, I've always thought the two things determine games. I said, hold on, Brian. I know exactly what it is. It's, it's the turnover margin and it's the number of explosive plays that you create. Mm, yeah. And the explosive plays that you can create when you have just an extra step of speed, uh, the opportunities are, are just, they're tremendous.
1: Yeah, and that's why I think a lot of people want to see, like, how are they going to use him? How much can he get in the offense? You made a great point in the postgame show last week about, hey, you need to be able to pass protect, though. So just explain that part of it, because I think that's a hard concept, and we write it every training camp. Hey, I know you're excited about this rookie, but if he can't pass protect, the quarterback's going to get killed. Um, But I I could understand where fans would be like, come on, give him the football. Like, explain that to me.
2: Yeah, well, I think a a guy like him, you know, you want it first of all, you want him in the pass game and you can't always design pass plays to have the running back be the hot Mm -hmm. Um, because what defenses do is they start designing their defense to, you know, take away hot routes and then cover up the uh, uh, or, or to blitz. And then cover up the hot right route immediately. So, if you always do the same thing, then, you know, your, your, your offense is not going to work properly. So, there, he's going to have to block at some point. Right. And if he doesn't know who he's supposed to block, then, you know, he can't, he can't step on the field. If right. he doesn't know who to block, he can't step on the field, period, because right. he's going to get somebody hurt, namely his quarterback, which, you know, teams don't like having hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you can't do it physically, and you can't change it up, meaning sometimes, you know, with a linebacker, you know, you can't just cut people all the time. Because if you cut people all the time, they jump you. We see right. it with people carrying the ball and, you know, jumping over tacklers. You can't just cut people all the time. Sometimes you have to stay up on people. And if you can't physically and from a technically st- technical standpoint handle uh, those aspects of blocking, first knowing who to block, but then from a technical standpoint, especially if you're not the biggest person in the world – being able to handle that physically to be able to to block then again you just you just can't be on the field they can't afford to have somebody on the field like that and i'm not saying he doesn't do either one of those things well but if you're evaluating whether somebody should be in a game and uh you know should have some opportunities to touch the ball just understand that a running back must first and foremost be able to protect the
1: quarterback. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and for rookies, it's so complicated out there. The blitzes they send, especially when it comes to third down, they've just got more complicated. Did you ever whoop somebody like, did you ever as a running back really get somebody that was memorable and nobody noticed? Cause Randy caught a touchdown or something. But when you look back at the tape on Monday or, you know, I feel like that happens all the time when we go back and look at the tape and go, Oh wow. Like Delvin really got that guy on that, that big passing plate. Do you have a memorable one?
2: Uh, Yeah, it was uh, Warren Sapp, and I remember it so much because he came up to me afterwards. He's like, "You do that again, I'm I'm coming to get you." I mean, he was joking around. He's like, "You do that again, I'm coming to get your ass." Like, hey, well, you know, I mean, I'm always running the ball, so you know where I am. I'm not gonna hide from you. Right. But uh, but he, and that's it's exactly what happened to him. He, I went towards him. And he started, he started to jump and I caught him in the air and he did a, he did a headstand. Oh man. I mean, it was just perfectly timed. So yeah, I, I remember that one just because it was so funny. And you know, Warren just, he just had such a great personality. Like it was, he, he turned it into a joke and he knew, and he knew I got him.
1: Yeah. That's, oh, that's amazing. I mean, Warren Sapp is a good one. That is a big man. And he was as good as anyone in the NFL at that time. That's a, that's a good one to have. Um, let me ask you just one more thing uh, before we wrap up. This has been super fun, Robert. I'm really glad we could do it. Uh, just, I want to know what, what, when you decide to walk away from the game, uh, a lot of people talked about, oh, you're walking away early. You let, you know, is your highest... Uh, run total that you had ever had in your career. So that kind of became um, a thing that you were talked about a lot for. I wanted to know like what you were most proud of in your career though. I mean, because it's a great career, multiple Pro Bowls, you're on some great offenses uh, and then you've turned that NFL career into a great broadcasting career. I just wonder like what, what you got when you walked away and then look back, like what you were the most happy about with your career.
2: Um, just that uh, you know, after Spending the first four years uh, spending so much time injured mm-hmm. um, and, you know, being able to fight back and fight through all that and still be able to, you know, put together four straight thousand yard seasons, a couple Pro Bowl seasons on a couple of surgically repaired knees. Because, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, whatever it is that my kids do, like the, the message is. You know you can fight through things and you know just because you're down doesn't mean you're out mm-hmm. uh and and so i think that just kind of being able to fight back and kind of uh confirm um confirm what denny had believed in me mm-hmm. uh in taking me and and being able to uh, prove a lot of people wrong at, you know by, by staying healthy
1: yeah, that's very cool, man. Well, I'm really glad we could connect and people can see you at Vikings.com, the post game shows. You'll be doing it uh, after the Lions game. I didn't go out to Santa Clara for the last game, so I like looking for the post games. That was the first time that I had watched you. You just do a tremendous job on there, obviously, a, a television veteran. Um, so it's a really great asset for the Vikings to have you. Um, so I appreciate your time, man. Thanks for getting together with me, and uh, hopefully, we can do it again soon. All right, sounds
3: good. Sam Ekstrom here to tell you more about our good friends at Boogie Bikes. You know, winter is upon us, the days are short, but I'm already daydreaming about the spring and summer when I can get back outside, golfing, walking the dog, and getting on the bike. And if you're thinking about gifts this holiday season, consider Boogie Bikes, makers of the electric cruiser bike. Don't settle for a low-quality bike. The Boogie Bike is built in Wisconsin using the highest quality parts from around the world, and if you want to conquer hills, enjoy the outdoors, save gas and money and energy and not show up sweaty to work, go to boogiebikes.com and get yourself an electric bike today and get $250 off just for being a podcast listener. Use the promo code SKOL, S-K-O-L, $250 off. Get a free basket on your bike and hey, there's no risk. 15-day it home boogie bike guarantee. And an industry-leading five-year warranty. They're the best. Boogie Bikes. BoogieBikes.com.
1: Along with Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus, he's the director of content, is what they call you now, uh, and uh, draft guru, of course, and you and Mike Renner, your podcast used to be two-for-one drafts. Now it is the tailgate, because you guys actually tailgate Austin, which I think is really cool.
0: No, it's insane. We have had an insane year of tailgating. We've been to Alabama, Michigan, LSU, Oregon or uh, Ohio State. It's been a fun year, man. We have been to some of the biggest stadiums in the country, and it's been fun every time.
1: Uh, what What do you think was the best one?
0: Oh, Ann Arbor was absolutely absurd this past week. And I think a lot of it with tailgating experience, right? It's a lot of it about the the importance of the game, the atmosphere, the food, the drinks, the people. Because I think LSU in twenty nineteen probably would have topped everything. But like LSU now, I mean, they were like talking about firing Ed O'Donnell when we were there. We were there for the Florida game they end up winning that game but still everyone's upset I think I think it really does depend so for next year give a little hint for next year we're planning on some bigger bigger matchups not mm. so much destinations but looking at some of the best games of college football
1: that Ohio State Michigan football game I mean I'm not a college guru as yourself usually I'm working on something and sort of look up and look down from the TV all Saturday uh, or I'm traveling to a road game or whatever else but that was the best college football game I've seen in a long time. I mean, that that was – it was so, it was back and forth, and there's so many players who you're going to see in the NFL in that
0: game. 100%. I mean, I think that game and that Saturday overall was one of the best college football Saturdays we've really ever had. It was absolutely absurd to see Michigan as seven, seven-and-a-half-point dogs at home beat up on an Ohio State team that they have not beat since 2011. This is the first time that Michigan's ever even been in the Big Ten Championship since it, since it originated. I mean, it's originated. It's been – Insanely like tough years, some insanely tough years for Jim Harbaugh and and Michigan trying to get over the hump. Right. And the monkey on his back. And that all was let loose once they won that game Man, Ann Arbor was on fire.
1: Well, I've got a lot to talk to you about about NFL stuff and Viking things and so forth, but uh, I don't know also that I've seen a performance by a single defensive player like Aiden Hutchinson in that game, and he is now number one on your guy's list because you just put out your top 100 list of which I want to get to some of the quarterbacks um, and how they're ranked not so impressively, uh, you know, but, but I mean, that was like Lawrence Taylor or something. He t- completely took over that game. It was insane. I mean, Ohio State's offensive line
0: has not allowed more than 13 pressures to any team this year. Aiden Hutchinson by himself had 15. It was the biggest takeover of an offensive line I've ever seen. And no other Michigan defender had more than three pressures. Like it was him by himself. It was absurd. I mean, I think he is right now one of the best bets to win the Heisman. Right now, Bryce Young is minus 200, the favorite. But if he loses to Georgia and doesn't play well, it's going to be very difficult to give him the Heisman. C.J. Stroud just lost on the road and not playing in the Big Ten Championship. And Aiden Hutchinson is plus 1,600 right now. Why would you not give it to the guy that's almost single-handedly bringing Michigan to a title? So I think if Michigan wins and Aiden Hutchinson has you know, one or two sacks against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship this Saturday and Bryce Young loses and potentially loses bad to a Georgia team that's favored by six and a half in the SEC Championship, I would not be surprised if the Heisman went with the first defensive player since Charles Woodson, another Michigan Tech mm.
1: Right. Yeah. I, well, I mean, if your goal is to give it to the best college player, I don't think there's any question who the best college player has been. And again, that's just me sort of gauging the landscape, but I'll just, since you're saying it, then I feel better about it. Um, Well, cause I got a few tweets. I did get a few tweets from people. Like I think the Vikings should look at this guy for their pass rush. I got, you got to be a lot worse down the stretch uh than you're capable of being. But I want to talk to you about the Vikings, draft class and just what we know because it's always interesting to sort of circle back and update ourselves on our opinions because now that we've seen Christian Derrissaw play for a while and he did give up one sack to Nick Bosa and got hurt in the game against San Francisco but also played really well in his one-on-one battles with Bosa and has shown I think a physical strength that is just different from most guys that I've seen at that position. He does not get picked up and move back. he he When he even gets beat, he could just throw out an arm and then move a dude. I think it's been a really, really promising first uh, year for Christian Derrissaw, even though it got started slow with his injury.
0: Yeah, I think the only concern you'd have with Derrissaw right now is the injuries, right? Like him not being completely healthy, I think has slowed the rush to call it, you know, one of the better picks in the first round things like that. But man, like to trade back and to get as good of a player that Christian Derrissaw was, still, in my opinion, is one of the most absurd things we've seen. Because he has come in pro-ready, ready to rock and roll. And he has been as impressive, if not on par with Panay Sewell, just hasn't played as many snaps. Creed Humphrey is kind of running away with best rookie offensive lineman. He's been insane playing center for the Kansas City Chiefs. But saw if he started the season healthy, I think we'd be talking about him a lot more.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. And it also really hurt their offense early on that they had to play Rashad Hill. And so it's a good point that the injuries are something we're going to have to pay attention to. And I don't know at this moment that we're recording this, what his injury is, or if it's going to take a while because this team is not, particularly friendly at telling us what injuries are for players or so he could be back next week he could be out for the rest of the season at this moment i'm not really sure but that is the only concern i think the way he's played has really uh put him on the map as sort of a centerpiece for them going forward now the rest of the draft is interesting because wyatt davis i'd love to hear your theories uh former Viking Jeremiah Searles and I went through every possible theory of why he can't get on the field. One of them just being that he's out of shape, which he was uh, during the preseason. But um, did you see it coming with Wyatt Davis? Like were there red flags? Cause I remember draft night, I gave it an a plus. I thought, well, third round, this is a guy who was expected to go higher, played at Ohio state. Like maybe he isn't a starter right away, but it looks like this could be something for long-term for that position, which has been such a struggle for the Vikings. Got any theories, <laughs> Austin? I mean, some of it could be right, because you've sat
0: out some of the 2020 season. I think some of that, being out of shape and things like that, like maybe he's just not ready to come back to football. And I think that adjustment has been easier, obviously, for Jamar Chase and Micah Parsons. But it was not probably as easy as Wyatt Davis, especially if he came back in preseason and was you know, out of shape. I think that's probably the biggest reason, right? I think Wyatt Davis needs to – get back into football shape, which sometimes you can't do without playing football. And maybe it's just a tough sledding for him to get to that point.
1: Do you call it on guys early? Like when, when do you call Usually i get a pretty good sense in their first training camp, whether there's something there to talk about or not. That was, what was hard about Derrissaw is he was never in training camps. It was like, how's he look? I have no idea. Uh, But you know, I'll give you an example for another guy, Kenny Wangwu. We saw him touch the football in training camp and went, whoa, everybody, look out. And then he gets hurt, another problem, but he comes back and immediately makes an impact with a couple of touchdowns on kick returns, which are like hard to find, like a Sasquatch, hard to find kick returns these days. I think it's kind of, if you're paying close attention to these prospects, it's pretty early. You can figure out which way the wind is going to blow, but I also don't want to completely say, hey, Wyatt Davis first year was a bust. So he's just done. Don't even think about it. I think, I think it depends on the position, right? I think with running back,
0: if you're not hitting the ground running, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be very difficult for you to – because your, 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 your career ends pretty soon. Le'Veon Pell is 29 years old and can't even find work. Like, if you can't hit the ground running in the NFL at the running back position, I think that's going to be tough. But for offensive linemen, I often find that you need to wait years, one year two years. Look at Colt Miller. Colt Miller for the Las Vegas Raiders – uh, was not good his rookie season and did not play well his second season. He battled injuries throughout the start of his career. Now you could call him a comfortably a top 12, top 14 tackle in the NFL. He's paid like that, and he's played as one of the more consistent players for that Raiders team. I think you call him a building block. I mean, think offensive line usually takes years, right? It's tough to go as a 20, 21-year-old to the NFL against physically more mature people where every down you have to be physical. Every down you have to beat another person in front of you, another 25, 26, 27-year-old person – Oftentimes, you don't see people hit the ground running at that position. Tristan Wirfs is a unicorn. You know, he was physically, legitimately a freak. And he hits the ground running as one of the few tackles that played super well as a rookie. But even he, I think, will get better as his career goes on. I think Wyatt Davis is the same. Obviously, injuries are a different part of that. Like, factoring in injuries to bust and stuff is tough. As for other positions, linebacker, I think, takes time. Corner takes time. You want those positions. And quarterback. but Like, running back's the only one where it's like, okay, if you can't make a difference early, you're probably never going to find the football field. Kenny and Wu was one of my favorite sleeper running backs in this class because uh-huh. he's got speed. He could scoot. And that, in today's NFL, where you're attacking space more than we have ever have, spreading things out, running 10, 11 personnel, getting guys that are fast, as the 49ers have seen with Raheem Mostert and other guys over the past few years, that is the name of the game. And Nwongwu is exactly that.
1: Yeah, and the thing about Wangu too, that I didn't really realize because – everything is different with how we cover the team now. So in previous years, I would have just been in the locker room and met him and talked with him. Uh, but now it's when they bring guys out to the podium. So what I didn't realize is he's kind of big. Like he's, he's not like this two, two Atwell or something yeah. where you see, Oh, he ran a four two, but who's the John Ross or whatever? Like, Oh yeah. This tiny little human. Who's going to get beat up by the big men. He's not like that for a guy who runs like a four to upper four twos or low four threes he is like the size of a usual running back.
0: The only reason I think he fell in the draft was because he didn't have a lot of attempts, right? Mm -hmm. Like he just didn't play a lot of football and that will cost you a ton. But man, as we, you talk to Eric Eager a ton, I know you do. He's a good friend of mine. And what he's done with college to pro projections here at PFF is absolutely insane. And he has seen athleticism and how athleticism score translates to the NFL at the rate it is teams need to take that much more into account right like body how your body is built and how you are athletically is so important to your nfl success looking at cornerbacks with 30 inch or shorter arms are rarely producing in the nfl running backs that run four or five plus are rarely producing a ton of yards earned or yards gained after contact or through force miss tackles identifying what those small things are and at the combine you talk about this a ton. like is he a 4-4 guy a 4-6 guy it matters. And I think with Longo, I think even he didn't have the production, it was well worth the flyer. I think the Vikings obviously got a steal.
1: And this is a, also a point about Delvin Cook and the contract extension. And I don't mean to be doing this since he got hurt again of like, ah, oh, he's hurt again, told you so. But the entire world said about these running backs, this includes Christian McCaffrey and everybody else is, Look, I mean, their peaks last for a very short time, and this has been the case for a long time in the NFL. And we said last year, hey, uh, he's being used like Larry Johnson or Sean Alexander. Do you think this could be a problem long term? And here we are injured, less effective than he was in the past. And oh, look, we're excited about the next running back that you found. I mean, uh, the Vikings running back coach, I think, plays a big role in picking the running backs in the draft. And he just has picked one after the next. They had Mike Boone undrafted. He was good. And then here comes Kenny Wongwu; He's good. Alexander Madison is your outlier for the speed thing, but he's been mostly effective throughout his career. It kind of says, like, there's a lot of these guys out there because now there's already one who we're excited about for for the kind of future here.
0: I mean, I think for running backs and wide receivers lately, you're seeing some of these guys that are some of the highest-paid guys – getting hurt, right? Not only are you not guaranteed a long peak, but you're also not even guaranteed that peak at all, right? There are running backs who don't get hurt too fast, and that's why investing as much as they do, you know, some teams do, at a, you know, on a single player at that position or even receiver at times can be so difficult to overcome if they do get banged up, if they do miss time. Like A.J. Brown this year, who hasn't got the big contract yet, but you don't like to see that. Julio Jones, Devontae Adams has even missed a couple games. I mean, it has been difficult – for premium players paid at their position at receiver and running back to stay healthy because they're used so much and they run so many around all these things. It's a very physical position to play. I do think teams will catch up to this. And what, here's my take. I don't know if I've ever dropped this on this show, running back contracts. You can even maybe even start to consider receiver contracts when they leave the draft should be shorter. You should Mm -hmm. not be allowed to get a running back and he's automatically committed to a four-year contract. If he's in the first round with a fifth year option, you are going to abuse that player for the peak of his career, and when you and then you're going to spit him out when he's not good anymore. Look at Philip Lindsay. Philip mm-hmm. Lindsay, undrafted running back, who ran for a thousand yards in each of his first three seasons, making like six hundred k a year. Then not as effective, cut on the street, never got that big contract. Like that that's the concern you have at the running back position. I think you should be given the option to sign shorter term deals, and that way, and. More injury guarantees as a rookie and these different things. Or else, all, this stuff's going to happen all the time, right? And I think that, in my opinion, is one of the changes that probably needs to happen soon.
1: Well, I think the NFL teams look at it and they're like, "Oh, what a shame!" You know? Yeah,
0: exactly. No,
1: right. Uh,
0: you first know, move, it'd be like a player, it'd be like be a CBA thing, where like we can't keep having running backs, you know, play super well on their rookie contracts, three or four year contracts, and then when it comes to getting paid. Your teams are reluctant because he's older and all that. That, that. It's just ridiculous. I mean, you're going to get these guys hurt before they're able to earn that like big payday in their careers.
1: Yeah, and you think about it. Adrian Peterson signed his huge contract like, what, seven or eight years before Delvin Cook did, and they were about the same amount of money. I yeah. mean, that just tells you that everybody else is getting more because they're peaking – or at least sustaining success later in their careers. But these running backs are just uh, a British friend of mine called them cannon fodder, which I thought was perfect. Just like put them in the cannon, blow them up, put in the next one. And that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, And I think that probably teams are okay with that for the most part, because they don't care. Here's one thing I'll, I'll I'll throw out a contract CBA thing that I would have loved to have seen, but obviously won't ever happen. If the quarterback contract only counted for x percentage so let's say you were paying kirk cousins 45 million but only 50 percent of it went against the cap i feel like that would make it less of an advantage because we're going to get to the mac jones thing less of an advantage to have quarterbacks on their rookie contracts and sort of help out veteran quarterbacks instead of saying all right guys in the middle Derek Carr, Tannehill, cousins uh sorry your teams have to suffer actually because they signed you even though you are better than quarterback x who's on his rookie contract
0: I think that's another like phenomenal way of you know trying to give teams that don't have a top three, top four quarterback a more competitive advantage. Because right now, and we talk about this a ton on the draft podcast I do. If you don't have a top three, top four quarterback, you need to keep drafting until you get one. Because if you pay a guy that's a fringe top eight, top ten, like the Vikings have with Kirk and the Raiders have with Derek Carr and the Titans have with Tannehill, you're gonna be in this purgatory, right? Like it's gonna be very difficult for you to strike lightning in a bottle. To win a Super Bowl with a quarterback that does can't even hold a candle to Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Drew Brees in his prime or Tom Brady. Like these guys are better. The better the best quarterbacks in the NFL win. The best quarterbacks in the NFL win, and they consistently win deep in the postseason. I always say this too: your goal in the NFL. Is not to win a Super Bowl, it is to consistently compete for Super Bowls. And you can't do that trying to strike lightning in a bottle, you know, signing Peyton Manning and then like go, and then you get in and say, Okay, cool. There's gonna be a lot of times where that doesn't work out and you're constantly trying to find this next quarterback. Look at Denver. I mean, Denver's still in this quarterback purgatory, trying to find this next guy, uh, un- wrongly paying Teddy Bridgewater, wrongly, you know, getting, you know, putting Simeon in the position they did Tebow, all that stuff. It is the most difficult question in the NFL, and I think there could be more. Those you know, CBA plays and contract plays to make it less of a competitive advantage to just keep dumping your quarterback until you find a guy that's worth it. And then on the, in the meantime, paying a guy on a rookie contract.
1: Folks, it's that time again where you're doing your online shopping for the holidays. And look, if you want free shipping, I can help you out with that. For all of your Minnesota sports inspired goods, use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER when you go to sodastick.com. That is S O T A S T I C K com. You can get their North State beanie, their Adam Thielen autograph shirts, Marcus Felino fan club design for all of you hockey fans out there, and the one I always mention because it's the best one, the Randy Moss Disgusting Act. You can put that on a hoodie, shirt, or almost anything else. And plus... Anything you want with skull on it, SodaStick has it. Again, that's dot com. Perfect for gifts. And you can get that shipping free by using the code Purple Insider.
3: Sam Ekstrom here, wondering if you're stuck on your company's injury report. In an unfortunate situation like that, it's good to have someone in your corner. That's where Kemet Sanford and Kramer Law can help you understand your rights under Minnesota's workers' compensation laws. There's enough uncertainty in our lives nowadays that the last thing you want is to feel helpless if you wind up in a bad situation after a workplace injury. Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer will fight for you if there's been a wrongfully denied work comp claim so you can get the benefits you deserve. If your claim's been accepted, they help with rehabilitation disputes, medical disputes, help you get a second opinion, and ensure you're getting all the benefits you're entitled to on an accepted claim. Kemet Sanford & Kramer will provide you with dedicated and experienced disability attorneys that have secured their clients tens of millions of dollars. Our good friends Mike, Pat, and Evan will handle all that messy legalese to and from the insurance company about your claim while you focus on what's important, your recovery. And there's no cost involved for reaching out to Kemet Sanford & Kramer. In fact, you don't pay a dime unless they successfully obtain your benefits. You get paid, then they get paid. It's that simple. The website is yourminnesotaworkcomplawyer.com, where you can find a phone number to get a free consultation. This is an attorney advertisement from Kemet Sanford & Kramer, YourMinnesotaWorkCompLawyer.com.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, Kansas City is actually a great example of why this—I mean, just has always been this way—but matters so much. Is I think they're terrible. It's just like a bad team. They don't have a good defense. Uh, the offensive line was patchwork together. Not impressed. Uh, they have one wide receiver and like a possession tight end. And yet here they are. I think I picked them today against all wow. the other AFC teams because of one guy. And how about this? Like Peyton Manning, he went through multiple teams complete overturns of rosters, multiple coaches. There was only one season after his rookie year where they lost less than 10 or won fewer than 10 games. It's just mind blowing how one player can have that much of an effect. And if you wanted to even that out a little, I don't know that the NFL does, but if you wanted to, to make it easier, count it for less than the cap. So teams with cousins, Derek Carr, whatever can stack up even more. But uh, the Vikings made their choice with the cap, how it is to give him the contract that they did. And now they're five and six Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here we are again, thinking about, well, if they don't make a deep playoff run, who wants to keep doing this? Right. But at the same time, what people keep tweeting me is this quarterback class coming up is bad. Austin, I have a two, kind of two part question. So take this however, wherever you want to go. Number one is, should this have been factored into their decision to not draft Mac Jones, that the next class, if things didn't work out, was not going to be that good? Or is that too far out to know? Um, and how bad is it really? Like, is it really atrocious or is it kind of being like overplayed? So one, I would say,
0: yes, that should have factored into their decision. I think if me on the street could see that the quarterback class the next year wasn't going to be as good as last year's, them with the resources that they have should be able to have the force on like, Hey, this class isn't going to be as good as this year's. Maybe we should take a Mac Jones or you know, maybe make a move for Justin Fields or whatever. And then two, the quarterback class isn't good, but it's being drastically shat on, for lack of a better word, because this last year's quarterback class was insane. I mean, this mm-hmm. last year's quarterback class, three, you know, to, back to back to back, I mean, Matt Jones, Justin Fields, all capable starters that are starting in year one. This year, there isn't a consensus QB one, which automatically muddies the class a little bit. And there aren't any guys where you feel super confident that they hit year one with the ground just completely running. Right. Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh has played the best football of any quarterback this year. He's been a five-year starter at Pittsburgh. He started to get nervous about how much experience he's had, and he's 22, 23 years old playing at Pittsburgh. He'll probably get an invite to the Senior Bowl at the East West Shrine and blow it up, similar to what Mac Jones did. But does he's, he's a big quarterback that isn't super mobile but has a big arm. Are you are you going to invest in Kenny Pickett, who maybe isn't as toolsy as a Malik Willis or some of these other quarterbacks? Or It's hard to say, right? I think in that eight – to 16 range is where I'm starting to think, yes, if you are a quarterback team, needy team. There is a lot of blue chip defensive talent in this class, a lot of – and at premium positions. Like if the top of the class was interior offensive linemen and linebackers, I would be taking quarterbacks number one overall. But the top of the class is pass rushers. And the second highest paid position in the NFL are pass rushers. And then the second best part of the class is offensive tackles. And that's the third highest paid position after quarterback. So there's going to be a lot of premium positions at the top of this draft class that teams will flock to before quarterback. But if you take of these receivers over your favorite quarterback in this class, or even one of the corners, maybe outside of Derek Stingley, I think you're playing, you're being too cute with the selection. If you're a quarterback needy team, Minnesota comes to mind, potentially Carolina, Denver, Washington, if Heineke doesn't pan out and you're picking in that range where there is a quarterback available, like a Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Teddy Pickett, Desmond Ritter is not a day one guy for me, but maybe on day two, you have to. You have to swing the bat at that position. And the issue, the biggest issue I have, right, with teams like the Eagles with Jalen Hurts or even, you know, Carolina Panthers with Sam Darnold, they invested a second-round pick and Why not try him more? The fifth-year extension is already done. Is that drafting a quarterback in the first round? If it's not a top five, top eight pick, is not giving up on the quarterback that you have, right? Like you can have Jalen Hurts and Malik Willis and compete – and the best one plays, you know, the best quarterback plays. And that will only benefit your program. And if Hertz doesn't win, he has trade value. And if Willis doesn't win, he has trade value. We just saw an offseason where Carson Wentz and Sam Darnold were traded for second round picks. Carson Wentz might be a first round pick and no two quarterbacks played worse football in 2021 or 2020. You're telling me that if you draft Malik Willis in the top 15 or a corral or a picket and they competed and didn't win out the job, they wouldn't have at least second round or even back in the first round value. You're crazy.
1: But one time, John Madden said, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So I swear that teams have made their decision based on that quote forever. Probably. Uh, Even though Bill Walsh didn't really feel that way with Montana and Steve Young, but I don't know. Uh, Now, when we look at the Mac Jones thing, because you're talking about Kenny Pickett, like not necessarily being mobile or that athletic or, you know, those types of things. Uh, I, is Mac Jones like a reminder that, Hey, processing and accuracy are still our only God. I mean, it's really like, there was some point where, and I probably, probably fell into this trap a little bit myself where you went like, I don't know, the guy doesn't have a very impressive body. And even though I advocated for the same reason, you just laid out the Vikings drafting Mac Jones. I only did so because it was with their draft pick, like you don't even have to trade up or yeah. mortgage your franchise or anything. And if he works out uh, it's gold for you, but I feel like everybody watched, you know, Mahomes run around, be athletic. And then is you know, he's great athletic quarterbacks that said, ah, that's it. We have to have that. That's the only thing that will work. And Mac Jones is kind of reminding everyone at, you know, actually if we could stack up the roster through free agency, have really good coaching and then have a dude that executes the offense, that's still going to win in the NFL.
0: I think what happened, honestly, because I don't think we needed a reminder. The Bengals drafted Joe Burrow number one overall. Like Joe right. Burrow was very similar to Mac Jones in accurate, not a big arm, quick processor, played a ton of really good football in the SEC and won a championship. Like they were very similar in those regards. The reason I think Mac Jones was pushed down a bit is because the what if, or what if Fields turns out to what Fields could be, or what if Trevor? I mean, Trevor Lawrence was better than Mac Jones. He was better in a lot of ways. He's more mobile and all that stuff. Or what if Zach Wilson is this next Aaron Rodgers and is this next big on guy? And, like, you could say confidently Mac Jones played better football than Zach Wilson did in college yeah. and, against better competition. You could say that it was close with Fields, right? And Fields was in a good conference and all that stuff. But you pushed him down because you don't – there is no what if with Mac Jones. It's like, okay, if this hits, it's going to hit. And it has. Obviously, it has. And he's been put – in such a great situation to succeed. That offensive line is top two in pressure rate allowed. The receiving core has dropped nine passes this year. That's the second lowest mark of any team in the NFL. That's due for regression. The offense is catered to his strengths. It's catered around him. I do think that if two, so I, I always think about it. If Tua Tungavailoa was put in that offense, he'd be a top three graded passer. I mean, he would be phenomenal in that offense. So much of this is situation, right? And I think Justin Fields, will improve as Chicago starts to figure out what their sideline is going to look like. Trevor Lawrence will improve as Jacksonville starts to figure out what their sideline will look like. Zach Wilson's probably been the scariest. I think Zach Wilson's been a little bit nerve wracking and he's completely inaccurate compared Mm -hmm. to what he was last year, bailing out of clean pockets. It's been disgusting what you've seen from Zach Wilson this year, but Mac Jones has been phenomenal. And I think he's proved a lot of people wrong in that you don't always need to chase this like, what if, or this ceiling or these tools or this body You can if you cater an offense around Mac Jones and you spend the most of any team in free agency and you build a top three offensive line, you can win with a Mac Jones on a rookie
1: contract. Yeah, that's and that's the whole thing, right there. Is it's the rookie contract. I don't know what will happen with Mac Jones when he doesn't have that, or if they have a bunch of catastrophic injuries. Like, is he going to put a franchise on his back the way that Mahomes has had to do this year? Like, probably okay. not. But how? But how many guys can? Mm-hmm. Uh, almost nobody. So get get yourself your. My thing with the Vikings was your current quarterback already can't. So what would be the situation where you could have a quarterback who's similar, but? You could put all those things around him that you want to put around him, Mac Jones. Uh, but I totally get why people thought the Vikings should trade up for Justin Fields. He landed in about the worst situation you could land in. Um, but tell me this if you had to predict right now, 2025, how would those five quarterbacks rank, you think, in 2025 if you're trying to project forward? Trevor Lawrence won.
0: I would put. I still have faith in Justin Fields being a really, really good football player. i put him two. Mac Jones, three. Why am I blanking on the fourth? I know (laughs) Zach Wilson, and who's the fifth?
1: Did you forget Trey Lance?
0: Trey Lance. Okay, I would put Trey Lance last because I don't know what he is right now. i put Mac Jones, third, Zach Wilson, fourth, and maybe Trey Lance, fifth. But Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, you don't really know what those guys are going to be. A complete opposite to what Zach Wilson was, and Trey Lance hasn't played a ton of football this year, but – Trevor Lawrence is going to be phenomenal. He just needs a better situation. I think Justin Fields has not shown anything what like Zach Wilson has shown and just being a complete opposite player. And then Matt Jones has obviously been great. But like what the new Patriots did, right? Of spending a ton of free and building around him is so much easier said than done. We've seen teams go again and again trying to spend big and, and spend the wrong ways, right? Like, and you can get guys hurt in these different things. It's, I would not say it's equally as hard, but it's pretty close to, finding a top three quarterback in the NFL, finding a Rogers and Mahomes and Allen or a Jackson or whatever, and then spending enough money for agency with a, a, a quarterback that plays to the strength of his supporting cast and supporting him with the right supporting cast, keeping coaches, offensive line, all that stuff.
1: This is a, a Belichick point that I'm not sure I've made before, but I've maybe had it pop into my skull before, is that he might be a better GM than he is a coach. Uh, he's just so clever at being able to pick these things out and make the right like pragmatic decisions when it comes to how to spend the money, who to spend the money on, when to let people go, when to take a risk on a player, when to draft quarterback when they fall right in your lap. Uh, And he's just been so good at this that I see people complaining, oh, he didn't go for this fourth down and he should have. And like, this is not the way we should judge people. I mean, I think he should go for it on fourth down, but it's like not the way we should do it. And sometimes it feels like that's the way we do it. Um, So anyway, I I think they made the exact decision that the Vikings should have made, but they decided, no, our jobs are on the line. Let's draft a left tackle who might be good, but not going to change your franchise necessarily like the other guy. Uh, I want your opinion before we wrap up here. Always great stuff, man. I love getting together with you of just the NFC race. In general, I mean, it's what a goofy thing this has been. Every team you get convinced on, you're like, oh, I know they're great. And then, you know, they'll fall off the map. And then you have the Rams slipping down. You have other teams that are kind of like holding steady like the Cardinals. And then you just have this garbage fire at the bottom with all these teams fighting for one spot that probably shouldn't exist.
0: It has been such a paradise NFL season, right? And I think it's why it's the best product in sports. I mean, it is legitimately... The best product in sports and college is trying to compete right now with the coaching carousel and stuff like that. I think that has been fun. I think the transfer portal stuff, the NIL stuff in college is going to make it so much better for people to enjoy that sport. But for the NFL, it's been insane. For the NFC, I am all in on Tampa Bay still. I am all in on Tampa Bay. I won't fade Tampa Bay. Tom Brady is playing elite football. That defense is the best run defense in the NFL. Top three need per play allowed. Don't fade Tampa Bay. Los Angeles, I'm a bit concerned with. Their offense has not looked good lately. Matt Stafford has looked like the Detroit Lions version of Matt Stafford. That is a concern. Arizona, when healthy, in my opinion, is the number two team. But they got, they're, they're so struggling to be healthy right now. Like yeah. Kyle is struggling. DeAndre Hopkins is struggling. If they can't get healthy, that's what matters. And I think with both the AFC and NFC, the biggest things right now is health. You, know, you have the Titans fading because they're unhealthy as hell. No Julio Jones, no A.J. Brown, no Derrick Henry. You have the Browns fading because they're unhealthy. Baker Mayfield's playing hurt. Your, Nick Chubb has been playing hurt. Kareem Hunt's been in and out of the lineup. You know They, they didn't have Rashard Higgins due to injury. Anthony Schwartz due to injury. They're hurt. Now you got Jack Conklin, the right tackle, who's out for the season. Then you go to the NFC, and it's like the Cowboys, right? No Mark Cooper, no CeeDee Lamb, Tyron Smith battling it. If you're not healthy this late in the season, you're going to lose a ton of games because your team is built around these guys, right? And a lot of teams, when you talk to them, it's just about getting to the game. You know, so much less of a focus on like getting these guys practicing, So practices are becoming lighter, and you're not getting these guys the reps that they need that are backups that are coming in to actually compete. And, like, the healthiest teams at the top will ultimately prevail. And I think that's why look at the Patriots, man. They have been healthy down the stretch. You look at Tampa Bay. They've found ways to stay healthy. I think those teams are the ones I'm flocking to right now.
1: Mm -hmm. TB12 method caught on. and so Obviously. (laughs) uh well i appreciate all of your time austin you guys do a great podcast that i listen to all the time and now during the regular season and not just draft season the tailgate podcast with you and uh mike renner so thanks for your time man always great to get together with you and make sure you're you know perusing pff.com since you're commanding all
2: content now so that's there you go thanks a lot austin thank you